Football Podcast. What is cracking, fantasy people? This is the True North Fantasy Football Podcast. I am Travis Seal. I'm back with my co-host Tyrell McLaughlin. It is a beautiful, well, it's a rainy day, but uh, it's a beautiful day anyway because we're podding, my man. How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. We got to be inside anyway, so what's the difference, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, for me, it'd be nice to be able to go out in the backyard a little bit, but we're going to have some of these days based on where we live, so I accept it. I accept it. Yeah, I saw you getting your, your physical exercise in, so I hammer out some yeah, push-ups earlier dude. today, so I imagine the juices swole, are flowing. Getting swole, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, our buddy on Twitter, uh, FF Porkman, make sure you follow him. He he shouted me out on a 30 for 30 challenge. He actually shouted you out too, my man, so you're up next. Yeah, I get on that. Yeah, I crushed out 30, 30 push-ups, which I didn't actually think I could do, uh, and I tagged a couple people to, to carry it forward, so it's uh, that was all about keeping, keeping our exercise up while we're in self-isolation and uh, I'm not actually an exercise guy myself so it, it was uh, it's been a while since I did a bunch of push-ups but I was happy I hammered them out yeah Smitty would be proud Mr. Groove would be proud <laughs> yes they would yeah Smitty be jacked up for me I have eight weeks to turn you gaggler maggots into a well-disciplined cadet unit from this day forward your sorry asses belong to me you will not eat sleep drink Blow your nose or even dig in your butt without my say-so. Know this. Killing is my business, ladies. And business is good. Right on, my man. So it's going to be a good epi today. You fired up for this one? Oh, I am big time jacked up. This is the epi, right? Like the rookie running back class is also what we want to be the most well-versed on, you know? So I'm really excited to do this rookie running backs tier. Yeah, it's going to be sweet. So yeah, we're going to talk about the uh, rookie running backs, much like our last episode where Ty and I got together. We talked about the wide receiver tiers and we went through kind of our rankings and how those players are tiered out. And we're going to do the running backs on this episode. So we're going to fly through uh, definitely our top 12 and then we might give some lower tier names that we want to keep an eye out for. So uh, yeah, should we uh, should we fly in? Yeah, definitely. These are the players that, you know, they're going to shape our dynasty teams and kick off our rebuilds and, you know, our startup drafts. They're players we're targeting for sure. And I I think it's interesting with all the ramifications of coronavirus. They're awful, obviously, but, you know, we're not able to track what teams are going to go to what pro days, all that jazz, but it makes it all the more important to dive into these guys, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I'm in a couple startups right now, and it's nice having that running back class because if you know you're going to have a higher pick in one of your rookie drafts, you can kind of plan around hoping you get one of these guys, and there's a lot of good names that we're going to talk about on this one. Yeah, let's get down to business. Okay, Ty, I'll kick it off here with, uh, I think, both of our number one running backs, safe to say, Jonathan Taylor. You know, as far as the fantasy consensus is, he's looking like he is most people's number one running back at this point. But yeah, what, what do you think about Jonathan Taylor? Why don't you give us a little tail of the tape on him? Yeah, he's my number one running back. Everyone's tier one running back for sure. And he's 5'10", 226 pounds, just rocked up. He ran that 4.39. His speed score, 99th percentile. Best speed score since Saquon, 121.7. And I think the coolest thing about Jonathan Taylor is he did what he did the hard way, you know what I mean? That's ultimately what I love the most about him. Unlike the majority of the running backs we're going to talk about, uh, especially in this tier one, Jonathan Taylor, he wasn't highly sought after out of high school. He was just a three-star recruit. So I think it's pretty cool that he ended up, you know, in Wisconsin, cold weather back. Do you think he's really separated himself as the running back one over DeAndre Swift? Yeah, I definitely think so. He... 
he had an awesome combine first off, which really solidifies that some team is going to use him as probably their bell cow back. So when you take draft capital into account, I think he definitely has separated himself. Um, and then with what we saw in the passing game from him this year, I think we know that he can he can do it if he's given the chance. So I think he's definitely separated himself as maybe a tier within our tier one. Yeah, I think what we saw the combines all everyone wanted to see. I mean, Taylor put up over 2,000 yards from scrimmage all three seasons in college since 2003 among all running backs in the last 17 years. Nobody's averaged more than 1,900 yards from scrimmage in their NCAA career. Jonathan Taylor averaged almost 2,200 yards from scrimmage per season at Wisconsin. Like, that is just unreal. He finished top 10 in Heisman voting all three seasons, won the, the nation's top running back twice, finalist the season he didn't win. And, you know, just to go through some of the NCAA records Jonathan Taylor set, when only playing three seasons, he holds the NCAA record for the most rushing yards in a college football career, and he's still fourth all-time on that on the record books. And he's also tied for the fastest to get to quadruple digits in his NCAA career, uh, tied with some all-time greats, by the way, when he was 18 years old, took him just seven games to get to 1,000 yards. And he also has the most rushing yards in a season by a sophomore and holds the all-time record for the most games with 200 yards. He had 12 of those. So yeah, what more could we say about about Jonathan Taylor, you know? <clears throat> yeah, I think he said it really well there. He set all those records. He was super solid for Wisconsin in that backfield all three years that he was there. I think what kind of stands out to me is the size. He's not afraid of any contact, and I don't think he missed any time over those three years at Wisconsin. So um, just, you know, a huge workload. You know, a lot of people kind of go against those guys who have those massive workloads in college, but to me, like... That just means that he commanded that backfield. They didn't want to give touches to anybody else, and he's just that good. So, Ty, what about you? Do you do you have any worries about the volume that he had or going into the NFL as far as his longevity? Yeah, you know, not really. It'd be different if he wasn't setting records and all that, you know what I mean? So he was able to maintain whopping efficiency and stuff. So he led the class in 10-yard carries, 20-yard carries, and still 20% of his carries were going for 10 yards, you know what I mean? So... When you look at it, when you look at 10-yard carries, he had 183. Next size had 70 fewer than him. So, you know, he was able to just amass all these crazy, crazy numbers. And I, I just think he was able to do things that we haven't seen. And you can you can talk about the school and all that and the kind of stigma that comes with the Wisconsin back. But he put up 219 force missed tackles over his career. That's over 75 per season, over 1,250 yards after contact in all Ooh. three seasons. Yeah, he was first, second in all three seasons. And in the last five years, only Derrick Henry and Chuba Hubbard have hit the 1,200 yards after contact mark. And yeah, Jonathan Taylor did it three times. In other words, he holds three of the top five yards after contact seasons on PFF in the last six years. But do you, do you put any stock in that, Trav? Like, we've seen these crazy stats or close to it from Badgers backs of the past days. Like, Wisconsin is just synonymous with a great offensive line. That general vibe that comes with them, you know, is it? Are, they're sort of one-dimensional bangers. So do you put any stock in that with Jonathan Taylor? Or do you think he's different? No, I think he is definitely different. There's the main one that comes to mind is Monte Ball, which uh, he was a big <laughs> disappointment for sure. He had a lot of work in college, but I think it's pretty safe to say that Jonathan Taylor is at least one echelon above Monte Ball. So uh, I, I'm not too worried about the Wisconsin narrative because it's on a player by player basis, and uh, he's just he's different. Yeah, I really he's almost a lead everywhere. I mean, you look in the red zone; he's one of the best running backs we've seen in recent years in the red zone in NCAA as well, and. You know, he really put everything to bed when he when he went out and performed as he did with that speed score. I, I mean, if you wanted to try and poke holes in Jonathan Taylor's profile, the hands are his only question, I guess. Uh, 14 lost fumbles in college, 17 total fumbles. Mm -hmm. That's high. He only had eight catches in both his freshman and sophomore seasons. He put 26 catches on tape last year. 
but he did drop eight of those 50 uh, catchable targets in his college career. So do, do you worry that he might be subject to being an early down back, kind of like what we see out of Derrick Henry? Um, I think there is maybe a little bit of concern. It really depends on the landing spot, obviously, but I think he can do it, right? And so it really depends on the draft capital too. If a team's drafting him in you know, the top 40 picks, they're going to want him to do it all for them. But yeah. if he slips a little bit and they've got uh, you know, a, an established receiving back in the backfield that he lands in, I could definitely see those concerns come into light. But for me, you know, I, I get the drops and whatnot, but for fantasy... 26 catches is a big jump and obviously they made a concerted effort to show that he can do that coming out of uh, out of college and into the NFL so uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that he can do it obviously the opportunity needs to come but I think I think it will yeah and I, I didn't love those drops on the catchable targets and everything but like you said on the 42 catches by the way seven of them went for 25 yards or more so 25 percent mm-hmm. of those were, were pretty big plays and uh you know, in the passing game, I think Jonathan Taylor, he has a nose for the end zone. That kind of shows up again. 20 running backs had more career catches in college in this running back class. Only four had more receiving touchdowns than Taylor. Right. So. And he's one of two running backs in this class who had more than 30 catches and a better than 10% touchdown rate in the passing game. So, you know, he's super big. He's fast. He's a big play, contact, loving touchdown score. You know, he broke as many tackles as he did records. So what what team do you think is <laughs> going to try and, and take that leap, Trav? And how high do you think his draft capital can get? That's definitely a tough call with the running backs. And I think we're going to see that as maybe a theme throughout a lot of these guys is we're not quite sure how far they may slip or how high they could rise. Like Jonathan Taylor, talent-wise, is a top 40 pick for me. Um, but it really remains to be seen whether he's going to be in there. But some team's going to want to pounce. I, It's hard for me to put a team on it. Can I interject and just go on yeah. a quick rant here? Because I, I, we're on the same page here. I think... What we can agree is that it's kind of changed. Like, always a roller coaster for years. You know, we rarely saw top 10 running backs in the draft. Then we saw the Zeke, Christian McCaffrey, Fournette run. Now, for the last few years, it's kind of back to the norm. So, I just want to say that late first-round draft capital is sort of the new huge investment at the running back position for a team. And second-round running backs are the new first-round running backs. And, mm-hmm. you know, third round is still significant uh, significant capital spent on a, totally. on a running back in this day and age. So yeah, rant over. And I, I got some landing spots. So like Tampa Bay is one that he met with. I don't know if I love that fit because Arians, he's so old school, the drops, the fumbles, who knows? And mm-hmm. his role in the passing game would be far from cemented there with Rojo, Dario Gumbawale. And we, we know Arians insists on a third down back and Brady is very much used to that. The new quarterback there. Uh, what do you think about Miami though, Trav? They, they, that's got to be the best landing spot, right? But they brought in Jordan Howard. So what do you think about that? Well, I think they've got the capital, and I think regardless, he would probably share with Jordan Howard in the first year, but I think obviously he'd be taking over that job in 2021. I think that's a really good landing spot because he can do it all, and he could help if they have a rookie quarterback. He could help help insulate that quarterback for sure. How about I toss out a little bit of a sexy one here, Ty? Pick 34, the Indianapolis Colts. That would be a nice little spot for Jonathan Taylor to land as well. Oh my God! Yeah, that offensive line—that's going to be a money spot anywhere. What? What about Jacksonville in that same division? They have two first-round picks. Yeah, a sultry relationship with Fournette. Mm-hmm. He enters that final year of his contract. I also love the idea of bringing in a stud running back, let him bloom alongside Minshew. That could further enhance the vertical element that Minshew brings to that offense. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like that spot for sure. What? What about the Jets? What about the Jets? He's a Jersey boy. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad either. I hate um, it, you know, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know one. we. We, we question Adam Gase a lot, obviously, but yeah. it, we it's pretty clear that they don't want Le'Veon to be their long-term guy. And so we know that if Jonathan Taylor went there, that there is a path for him to have that workhorse load. So that's that's just kind of what we're looking for, is we're looking for him to have a big piece of the pie wherever he goes. I don't think he'll get those red zone 
those red zone carries with the Jets. They've been bottom five from the running backs three years straight under Gase. What about what about the dream spots, Trav? Like Baltimore and Kansas City. Like if if that happened, like top five overall in redraft. Do you think that's possible? Ooh, that's a little bit hefty for me. That's a little bit hefty. Yeah, you're not ready. To, you're not going to do that, eh? No, no, I don't think I would do it quite that early. I would say probably maybe back of the first or top of the second. Uh, but with Kansas City, it's a little bit tricky because they just re-upped with Damian Williams, and obviously, I don't think he is close to what Jonathan Taylor is but uh, you know they would have some work split there if he did go there uh, and then Baltimore would be so nice that would just be like the perfect spot for him but then there's other guys who are going to get carries in that backfield because we know they like to spread it out a little bit and so I just don't think he'd be getting that work right away but that would be a really nice spot for him for the long term both of those actually yeah can't Kansas City's the dream one I think it's kind of like last season all over again all we can do is wait we hope they would improve on the backfield last year you know and I mean, Darwin Thompson was a sexy name, but the draft capital they spent should have scaled back our expectations, mm-hmm. I guess, in hindsight. But as far as that backfield stands right now, Damian Williams was not even close to being capable of carrying the load last year. And I think they should be far more inclined to add a running back of substance in 2020's draft. They're they're further along in the maturation process as a team, and they didn't improve their versatile aspect of their offense. Every team needs that to repeat as a champion. And this running back class, it's far stronger than last year's was. And Kansas City, they, they decided to not prioritize rightfully so the devalued running back position last year but i think they could step up to the plate this year so you you don't think you don't think they're in the mix though for one of these top three running backs it sounds like i don't know i'm still a little bit skeptical i could really see them going the cheap free agent route um a little bit further along in the offseason process just like they did last year really with uh with carlos hyde um so it remains to be seen for me just because i think this offense is super dynamic and that andy Reid can make any running back fantasy relevant provided you know everything shakes out well and there's no injuries of course but i'm a little bit skeptical on them taking somebody at 32 there but uh you never know it, it would be a good move for them for the future i think yeah and that that's the debate right is if they trade back from 32, maybe it's more likely to recoup some of the extra picks that are mm-hmm. in play because, yeah, they don't have a pick in the second round, so they don't pick again until, like, 96th, I think. So the, the impending Mahomes deal presents a little bit of a weird scenario, too. Like, you might need to start replenishing your roster elsewhere, you know what I mean? you got to be a year ahead of your contracts that you're going to lose out on when you know you're going to pay somebody like Mahomes the money you're going to pay him. So it's pretty mm-hmm. pretty interesting debate in that backfield for Kansas City, but also the backfield that we we want to chase the most when it comes to some of these rookie running backs. So, Trav, should we go to our second guy in this first tier? Yep, the running back two for the True North consensus rankings is DeAndre Swift. I just noted the consensus rankings, actually, just to let our listeners know, our consensus rankings just went up on the site this week. Um, So that kind of just puts both of ours together, and you can do a little bit of sorting to see how we rank guys. Uh, That's up on the site. Make sure you hit truenorthffb.com. But, yeah, getting back into DeAndre Swift, the guy... You know, he was my number one running back for, for quite a bit. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor now is, but DeAndre Swift is no slouch, man. This guy's got really good speed. He's really good at changing direction, just like on a dime. I think the best asset for me is probably his work as a pass catcher. He had a 10% share of the targets while at Georgia, so we really like to see that. And I think it's it's pretty well known that he's dynamic in that facet of the game. So uh, what do you think about DeAndre Swift's outlook, Ty? Yeah, I think it's such an interesting debate atop the running back position for fantasy this year because you have very opposite profiles when it comes to Taylor and DeAndre Swift and how they're used mm-hmm. in college and the programs they played for and all that. So, it, it, you know, the reason we love him is because of that pass catching work. And, you know, DeAndre Swift, he won't check some of the boxes when it comes to breakout age and stuff, but he did play behind Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. 
What I have a really difficult question for you though, Trav. Do you think that's the hardest part comparing Jonathan Taylor and DeAndre Swift to one another? Like the difference in how they were unleashed by their programs or do you think it's the ceiling? Like the difference between the chance of getting the next Zeke and elite pass catching upside because that's DeAndre Swift's game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting comparison whereas I could see Jonathan Taylor going to a team and depending on how it shakes out, he could be the first and second down banger. And then as far as DeAndre Swift, if he goes to a team and the situation doesn't shake out, he could turn into like a third down receiving back change of pace kind of guy. I think he's got more skills than that, obviously, but it's definitely an interesting comparison because they are starkly contrasted in that facet as well as that volume difference. Like you said, uh, DeAndre Swift didn't have more than 100 rushing attempts until his second season. And then, you know, his highest rushing output as far as yardage is just over 1200 yards so pales in comparison to Jonathan Taylor but then you flip that and he had 17 receptions in his first season at Georgia and then 32 and 24 in his final two so we know he's going to get it done there so yeah far different players but I think the comparisons are are going to come to light when that draft comes and we see where these guys are drafted yeah, and I think there's lots of ways that we can separate these two where you can lean in favor of DeAndre Swift, right? Like that versatility, the way mm-hmm. he can be weaponized in an offense, that three down upside. It's just endless with DeAndre Swift. And then he matches Jonathan Taylor's efficiency, that's for sure. He was over six yards per carry all three seasons in college, over nine yards per reception every season. And did we mention his pass catching upside? And mm-hmm. yeah, almost seven yards per touch as a Bulldog. So he's super efficient. And about three quarters of all his production came in the SEC. So. You know, you really, really like DeAndre Swift's upside. And one thing I chase is the big plays. I paid homage to Jonathan Taylor having 70 more carries at 10 plus yards than anybody in this running back class. But it goes back to volume, right? Like looking at DeAndre Swift, his explosive play totals aren't as impressive, but 20% of all his carries in his college career went for 10 plus yards. And that's slightly higher than Jonathan Taylor. And only speedsters Anthony McFarland and Raymond Calias had a higher percentage of their carries go for 10 plus yards. Nice. Uh, 30 carries at 20 plus yards. You know, that's the fourth most in the class. He had 440 carries at Georgia. The three backs who had more 20-yard carries than than DeAndre Swift or Jonathan Taylor, A.J. Dillon, J.K. Dobbins, all of them at least 725 carries. So, you know, Trav, give me me your thoughts on DeAndre Swift. What's the margin between, do you think he can get the landing spot and go ahead of Jonathan Taylor, or is Jonathan Taylor just cemented as your RB1? No, I don't think he's cemented, actually. I think the landing spot could be huge for that. Like, you talked about Baltimore and Kansas City. If DeAndre Swift landed in one of those spots, there's no way that I could rank anybody above him, I don't think, especially not for Dynasty, because those two spots are just golden, right? So he's not cemented. I think as of right now, Jonathan Taylor is maybe a tier within the tier by himself. Uh, But uh, to me, DeAndre Swift isn't too far behind. What about you? Do you think there's a bigger gap than that? No, man, I'm in on DeAndre Swift, and I think it's all landing spot with even the top three or four guys, not even Mm -hmm. joking you. Like, I think there's that uh, appetizing of landing spots out there, too, because there is only a few of them, and I think the Miami Dolphins are kind of the dream one for everybody involved here, but I can't get over the efficiency, right? Like, uh, he had the second most 15-yard catches, DeAndre Swift, but over 20% of his catches went for 15 yards, and, you know, we're both big, sharp football fans, so they mm-hmm. consider a 10-yard carry an explosive play, 15-yard catch an explosive play. So off the fucking charts that DeAndre Swift would have <laughs> 20% total explosive play rate. And just some more of that pass catch and prowess, like just under 700 yards after the catch, one of the top yards after the catch totals amongst this running back class, caught almost 80% of his passes in college, just three drops. And you mentioned that early production, like that age-adjusted re- uh, receiving work. That was, you know, stealing work from Sony Michelle and Nick Chubb. So it's it's just really impressive. You know, is there, what is it that keeps him 
from being the RB1? Is it just that Jonathan Taylor was able to put up the same efficiency on more volume, or what, what do you think is the separator? Yeah, I think it is just that uh, the additional volume and the gaudy numbers from Jonathan Taylor, as well as how hard he smashed the combine. I think that was kind of a big thing Um, because for me, the combine, the biggest tool for me from the combine is to try and project a little bit of draft capital, see these guys solidify themselves a little bit. And Jonathan Taylor um, probably had the best running back combine out of the entire class. So uh, I think that was a big factor for me in in, uh, keeping Jonathan Taylor or moving Jonathan Taylor to running back one yeah for for me it was kind of like a little bit of the inconsistencies we saw from swift too and i definitely agree that it was easy it was so easy for us to move jonathan taylor ahead of deandre swift for sure but i just think people were worried that deandre swift didn't have that blow-up season in 2019 i wasn't really worried about that i wasn't really worried about the elijah holyfield thing splitting carries with him in 2018 and Mm -hmm. you know the the whole thing about swift's volume not having that huge season in his resume no 200 carry season didn't break 1250 rushing yards no season with a 50% backfield dominator. It it didn't really matter to me. What mattered was the wild swings. Like he just, and you could see it this last year where he didn't score a touchdown in the last seven games of the season. He had zero touchdowns and it's a long story, but just six touches in his final two games against LSU and Baylor. And then speaking of long story, there's just a crazy touchdown split I can get into about home and away with him, but I'll spare everybody. (laughs) But in 2018, he had just four games over 100 yards rushing, so that's not great in itself. But the note there is that four of them came in a five-game stretch. And remember, Sony and Chubb, they had both left at this point. And in the first seven games of 2018, with both those players gone, DeAndre Swift failed to hit 100 yards rushing in any game. He didn't hit 100 yards from scrimmage in any of those seven games to start the season. So, you know, Hmm. I, I could combat some of that with... He improved overall when it comes to carries and rushing yards every season, but he just didn't have that blow-up season when he probably should have. And if he avoided or at least had less severe splits, you know, that blow-up season would have happened in either 2018 or 2019. Yeah, I think that's really well put, Ty. So uh, as far as DeAndre Swift, do you think he's going to be the first running back off the board? I'm seeing that a lot in mock drafts, but uh, what do you think? Do you think he goes ahead of Taylor? You know, I I think it remains to be seen. I think the interesting point to make is that Miami does feel like the team who's going to take a running back first off the board and the Miami Josh Jacobs Raiders landing spot from last year. It feels like Miami and DeAndre Swift is this year's worst kept secret. Yeah. But (laughs) and obviously, I, I think that points towards them signing Jordan Howard that almost tipped their cap to me. If they add one of these top running backs in this class, it's probably one with pass catching upside and that would lean towards DeAndre Swift. Uh, but the, then you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So if the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were the team that landed Swift, maybe Jonathan Taylor's already gone at that point. You know what I mean? So it, it depends on the landing spot. And I'm really just not sure. <laughs> yeah, same boat, same boat. I'm really not sure. It's uh, It could go either way. And I think Swift would look really, really nice with the Dolphins there. So uh, yeah, let's. Uh, why don't we fire into the next running back in our first tier? Uh, another guy with some really good pass catching upside. That'd be J.K. Dobbins. Yeah, I love J.K. Dobbins. 5'9 and a half, 210 pounds out of Ohio State. Dobbins has the second best college resume in this class behind Jonathan Taylor, and it's not even close if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, so to start at the beginning, Jay Kalen is just one of five running backs in this class who broke out at age 18, and Dobbins will be 21 years old uh, when, when the NFL season starts here in his rookie year. So Trav, a lot of J.K. Dobbins' stock has been lost, so to speak, just from perception because he goes to the combine, right? So do you think J.K. Dobbins is an elite athlete or does that remain to be seen now with no pro days? Like, what's your thoughts there? No, I think it it shows when you watch the tape, man. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different when he's running around in his underwear, but when the guy's running with pads and a ball in his hand, you can see it on, on the field that he is an elite athlete. And I think he's going to show that at the NFL level. 
yeah, this is going to come out really wrong, but he looked really good in his underwear, you know, coming out of <laughs> high school uh, at, the, <laughs> at the 2017 okay. uh, Nike Combine thing, you know, that event uh, that they yeah, do. Dobbins yeah. ran a 4-4, and he hit 43 inches on the vertical. Trav, pop quiz, which of these players did not hit 43 inches at the Combine? Amir Abdullah, Saquon Barkley, and Christine Michael. Amir? No, it's Saquon. He's right. Amir Abdullah and Christine Michael are the only two who ever did. Attaboy, Amir. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that <laughs> translates. Anywho, Dobbins, he broke out huge. He still managed to increase his volume in touchdowns every year at Ohio State, and his numbers would be blowing people away if Jonathan Taylor mm-hmm. wasn't kind of stealing all his thunder, I think. And J.K. Dobbins, he averaged over 1,700 yards from scrimmage in his college football career. Since 1956, that ranks top 10 all-time among Power 5 running backs, sandwiched in between Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, Ray Rice, Dalvin Cook, Ricky Williams, Herschel Walker, just some of the Mm -hmm. other names in that top 10. Jonathan Taylor, first on that list, by the way. Uh, Speaking of whom, a 2,000-yard rushing season on the football card for Dobbins as well, the only other running back in this class, of course, to do that in college. It just can't be overstated how attractive Dobbins would be in a different class. Like, Trav, do you think he would be the top running back in last year's class over Josh Jacobs? Uh, yeah, I I think I would probably have him over Josh Jacobs. Um, he just does it so well in both facets of the game, and he's got the production to show it. That 2,003 yards last year, I think, was in Ohio State record, so that is massive out of that school. They've had some good backs. For sure, for sure. Some really good ones in J.K. Dobbins. I'm not going to say he stands above the rest, but he definitely stands among the rest. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He had That's a really well good year. Really, really good year with them. Like, he, he deserves to be talked about with some of the rest as a as a pro, as a a product coming out of school, yeah. Yeah, And absolutely. my point is just that in, like, Madden, he would be like, you know, he could be a running back one in one of those random generated rookie classes, right? Oh, yeah, big time. Uh, I just can't get over it. Like, he's behind Jonathan Taylor and just everything. Like, Dobbins had the second most carries, 10-plus yards in this class, second most 20-yard carries in this class, second most touchdowns, second in Doak Walker voting last year. Uh, so, Trav, do you think, is J.K. Dobbins just Phil Mickelson to Jonathan Taylor's Tiger Woods there? Or or because of DeAndre Swift, is Dobbins like Big L, and then we have J.T. and Swift as the Tupac and Biggie? Oh, <laughs> I like that one. I like the Big L one because, you know, I think for hip hop heads, Big L definitely holds his own as far as lyricism. Uh, So I would like I would liken that to talent. And J.K. Dobbins has a lot of it. Um, And I think anybody who knows Big Mm -hmm. L knows that Big L leaves Mike's torn when he puts it on. So uh, I think uh, J.K. Dobbins could leave some Mike's torn when he gets to the NFL. Yeah, he definitely doesn't belong in the graveyard. Uh, (laughs) Dobbins, he's almost Camus prospect. I really think that. Yeah, if people haven't heard The Graveyard, look, like that's the song to listen to by Big L to get into him, I think. That was the first one I heard. It's like a young Jay-Z in that third verse. Just ridiculous. Creep through your block, fuck a clock, I step. Through your neighborhood on with nothing but a rep. I'm giving these ladies something make a feel, because I'm real. Your man, get out of line, and it's kill, 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 kill. It's the number one group in the area. Yeah, listen to Big L, people. Come on. So. <laughs> yeah, Trav, so what what do you think of J.K. Dobbins as a three-down back? Like, do you think NFL teams are viewing him that way? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the pass catching is a big piece of his upside, and I hope that NFL teams are seeing him that way. You know, especially if we're putting him in our first tier of running backs, we definitely want him to have that. Obviously, his pass protection has some work to be done. It's not very good. And I do have some worry about that as far as him getting on the field in a three-down role. So uh, if he can show some improvement to his coaches in that area of his game, uh, I think he has all the tools to be a three-down back in the NFL. Yeah, I think that's where he's being 
you know, devalued the most or un- unfairly judged the most. I think he does have three down potential. And he, he was very sure handed over 800 touches at Ohio state, just three fumbles and JK Dobbins didn't miss a game at Ohio state. I always love to see that as for his pass catching upside, the skills definitely there. And like you said, he probably does have to work on that pass pro just to make sure he is out there on third downs. But you know, the problem is we never saw Dobbins use as much as we would have liked to through the air under 8% mark share every season. He had between 26 and 31 targets, between 22 and 26 catches all three seasons at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. It's a really steady, kind of boring work, but Dobbins made it happen on that limited work, and he made big chunk plays happen. He had 16 catches of 15-plus yards. That's just one shy of the lead of the class. And over 20% of his catches went for 15 yards. Good yards after the catch numbers, too. And, you know, if anybody says J.K. Dobbins has drop concerns, I am not buying that. I think they're just holding that one Clemson game against him. And then call it reliability, whatever you want. I brought up DeAndre Swift. I could bring up things like the 50% market share numbers Dobbins saw at Ohio State's run game versus Swift's 30% shares, right? I could boast about J.K. Dobbins performing much better against top 40 defenses or that J.K. Dobbins saw the fourth most red zone carries in this class, twice as many as DeAndre Swift. I'm not going to do any of that, Trav. What I want to do is talk about how these two finished their careers really quick. I mentioned the mind-boggling touchdown streak to end DeAndre Swift's Georgia tenure. Uh, J.K. Dobbins finished his college career strong. Four straight games, over 150 yards rushing, all four. Dobbins scored also in eight straight games to finish the year, scoring multiple times during a six-game streak in there, and he scored 16 touchdowns over the final eight weeks of 2019. So yeah, I'm running on way too long here, Trav. I really, really love J.K. Dobbins. Where do you think he's going to land? Because he kind of stole my favorite one for J.K. Dobbins because of the mini Zeke vibe. I want him to go to Indy under that kind of dumbed-down Dallas landing spot, you know? Yeah, I like that. I like that. I think it's potentially the new Dallas, to be honest with you. Um, they have two yeah, second round picks. Him, for sure, yeah. And I could see him going, you know, I don't know if he gets out of the second round. Kansas City has another late second round pick. That would be fantastic. And there's been some rumors that Seattle wants to draft another running back as well. And they have two picks in the late second round. So I'm not sure if he gets that far back, but we have seen it a lot with running backs lately. So if he gets to the end of the second, I think one of those two teams, Kansas City or Seattle, is probably going to yeah, scoop him Yeah, and I, I'm telling you, I have a feeling about this Indianapolis one. You know, Marlon Mack needs an extension. Do they want to pay him? That extra second round pick, it just makes so much sense for that offensive line. I love it. And then also, Mm -hmm. he had two private meetings with Miami and Houston, which, you know, Houston, LOL, meeting with 11 running backs and then going (laughs) and grabbing DJ. But yeah, I think he laid it out. Seattle's a good one. And by the way, after just three seasons at Ohio State, Dobbins leaves second in school history in rushing yards. And, you know, we, we mentioned some of these accolades that Dobbins is racking up. We know some of the backs there. It's pretty incredible. He also set the record for rushing yards by a freshman. Pretty remarkable what Dobbins did there, and he's 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 got to be getting some some more hype here leading up to the draft. Giddy up. So, Trav, before we move into our next tier, if any of those three guys, because this is our first tier, if any of those three guys lands in a decent spot in line for volume, how high will you be taking these kind of guys in redraft? Think Baltimore, Kansas City, if they land there. Yeah, if we're talking Baltimore, Kansas City, I could see back at the second round. Definitely for redraft in in dynasty, I think it probably could come a little bit higher than that. But in a redraft league, I'm thinking probably back of the second round in the area of those Miles Sanders, Austin Eckler types. Um, I think they'd be right in there for me on in a redraft league. Yeah, if someone goes to Kansas City, put them right ahead of like Alvin Kamara. My rankings like smack damn yeah, smack mid first round. Not even questioning. Just out the gate in the redraft league with that. It's uh, just top a mix 10 of running back status. Well, I it's like just it. a mix of me loving these top three running backs and Andy Reid literally putting out a top ten running back in points per game almost every season of his career. I like that. I think that take might be a little bit hot, buddy, and I'm I'm down oh, for it. it. She's hot. 
Don't touch. Now she's steaming. Don't she's steaming. Okay, another, I got another question for you. Is it in keeping with your thoughts to say the safest pick of this group might be DeAndre Swift still, like over over Jonathan Taylor? Hmm. Safest. That's a pretty tricky one. I mean, safest yeah. safest floor with the pass catching. I think I think that's fair to say. Uh, but it's hard because I sometimes like to have if I'm especially if I'm picking a running back one. I like a safe rushing floor in my running back one as well. So um, totally, I that think guy in, is going to give in, you the twenty carries a game. Some people exactly, like that yeah, exactly. Not me. <laughs> I know you don't. Uh, yeah, even if he's getting like fifteen to seventeen carries and. Be, being hyper efficient on the ground i like that and the red zone carries give uh, a little bit more opportunity for scoring so i like that as well so i think there's two sides to that so you you know it really depends on your philosophy but uh, i can definitely see that pass catching floor is higher for deandre swift for sure and i I just like to separate it a little bit because if jonathan taylor gets in a spot where he's in line for red zone work he's going to dominate the league in the red zone he's going to be putting up 15 to 20 touchdowns on the ground just like we've seen with zeke and Trav, I thought this actually might be a good point here. Some teams pre-free agency that we thought were really good fits to add some of these running backs, right? Do you think those teams have kind of fallen out of the running for these uh, elite backs? Like Atlanta, they have picked <laughs> 16 and 47, and then Houston picks 40 and 57 now. Uh, what do you think of those two teams in the running for these elite guys we talked about? Yeah, I think it definitely puts a little bit of mud in the water as far as them drafting them. I'm not sure that Todd Gurley really precludes the uh, Falcons from taking a running back, um, but they did trade one of those second round picks to get Hayden Hurst. So I think they're, you know, definitely a lot more cloudy as far as as far as them taking one. And then Houston, uh, we really don't know what these guys are going to do, but they don't have a lot of draft capital. So I could see them rolling with uh, with the Duke Johnson, David Johnson combo. And so I don't think they're really going to go that high because they're need is that wide receiver right now as well with losing deandre hopkins so um but you never know what bill o'brien's gonna do out there in uh in houston yeah, totally. and i think they both still have big holes like specific holes to fill in that run game i wanted to mention like there's some dark horse teams that stand out in the range of the draft that these guys could land in like who do you think could shock us by selecting one of these elite backs like we talked about kansas city baltimore we even talked about the indianapolis colts there uh, i didn't know you're gonna bring them up too even talked about <laughs> seattle that's a good one too meeting with some big names in the running back position any other names you uh you want to throw out there before we get into these other guys I think the Rams would be a really interesting mm-hmm. one. I know you love, I know you love some Hendo, uh, but trading Gurley, I think yeah. they're probably going to want to bring at least another body in there. So uh, I think, I think the Rams would be a really, really nice spot. We know him and Patrick Taylor work well together in the past. <laughs> uh, I dig it. Yeah, I dig <laughs> you, it. I just... So I, I like, I like the Rams. Yeah, that's a really good one. I like my Steelers too. And then Jacksonville's nice, one I threw yeah. out there. San Francisco, I won't count out or at least I'll chase heavily if they do add one of these rookies. And the Chargers with Melvin Gordon gone, I think they're interesting. And the Detroit Lions, I do not think are interesting, but I do think they will add a running back. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Lions, man. Poor Lions. All right, Ty. So before we jump into our second tier of running backs, I just want to give a big shout out to our podcast sponsor, Expand the Box Score. Expand the Box Score is one of the best databases out there as far as any fantasy stats. We use it for football, so we've got the college football and NFL bundle through them, but they've also got NBA, Major League Baseball, 
college basketball and even minor league baseball, which is pretty unbelievable. So uh, yeah, expand the box score definitely covers all bases, pun intended. And they really do exactly what the title says they do. They expand the box score for you. So you'll go to most of these sites, you'll see yards, you'll see touchdowns, you'll see carries and receptions, but expand the box score likes to take a bit of a deeper look. They've got lots of visuals. So they've got charts, graphs, and it'll show you, you know, the percentage of a guy's touches where he went for certain amounts of yards. You know, how many carries did this guy have from zero to three yards? And it'll show you the big plays they had as well. So like I said, we use their their college football and their NFL bundle, which is usually a $35 value. But if you go and use our promo code TrueNorth10, you can actually get 10% off that. So uh, for just over 30 bucks, you can get all the college football and NFL data you'll need. And we really love using Expand the Box Score. So make sure you hit them up at expandtheboxscore.com and that promo code is TrueNorth10. Yeah, and I mentioned it, Trav, we don't have any pro days. We don't have a lot of data points from this point on till the draft, you know? So we're going to have to do our own digging on these rookies this year and expand the box store is a great place to do that. Yeah, some good digging over there. All right, Ty, so we're getting into our second tier of running backs and this is a pretty juicy little tier, especially for fantasy football. So why don't you kick it off? Okay, Trav, I built the show sheet this week, so we are hitting Zach Moss next. <laughs> uh, you know, I love Zach Moss. I should have known. Yeah, I love Zach Moss. I'm just going to fly right into him. He checks every box besides the health concerns and all that. So he's a big boy, 5'9", 223 pounds. He's out of Utah. Does it all in my eyes, but my undying love, it stems from his ability to make people miss and his unbelievable pass-catching upside that is being slept on by the masses. He is sort of like David Montgomery, but faster. He'll have the same kind of missed tackles, elusivity of Montgomery, but he won't be dragged down from behind constantly. (laughs) I don't think he's like a high-level Kareem Hunt because that's like an elite running back in the NFL, but a lot of the same characteristics as those two players for the Zach attack. Moss, he broke out at age 19, one of the best dominator scores in this running back class, over 1,000 yards and double-digit touchdowns three years straight. And I always love a player who breaks out early and continues to improve, and Moss made leaps and bounds each season in efficiency and scoring. Then, after not coming out, we love to see Moss at least put up that dominant season in his final season of college there. So, Trav, you're a little lower on Zach Moss. What What is it that pushes him down for you a bit? Is it the concerns attached to Zach Moss, or is it simply the upside of the other running backs around him? Yeah, I have Zach Moss as my running back six, and Ty, I believe you have him as your four. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, not a huge gap, obviously, but I think the injuries are a little bit of a concern for me, uh, as well as maybe a little bit of his running style. I'm not necessarily sure. Like, I really like the player. Don't get me wrong. He's a big play machine. He looks like everything looks like he's going to be great. But I did notice that a lot of times he does get stuffed at the line, and I'm not necessarily sure if that's a product of the offensive line at Utah, or maybe it's just the way that he jumps around in the backfield trying to find a hole and trying to make a cut. Um, So the jury's still out a little bit on that for me and that's maybe why I have him a little bit further down than you do but yeah you can't deny Zach Moss man he looks electric on the field that pass catching work is fantastic in his final season at Utah over 21% of his yards came in the receiving game and that's what we're looking for for fantasy football so definitely can't deny it and I think you know my my ranking at six is is definitely not a slight on him it's just kind of a a nod to the players that are ahead of him and yeah I definitely like his outlook in the NFL um, especially if he goes to a nice spot obviously which is a common theme for all these guys the landing spots right yeah, especially in this tier. And you said it's a really tight tier, and me having him at the top, I, I just can't get him any lower at this point. And it kind of has to do with that bell cow upside, the size, all that. And I'm with you on the on the you know the 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 low yardage plays, the stuffed run percentage, and all that. 
but I just think Zach Moss does it all, and he had a lot of carries in the red zone that can contribute to a lower yards per carry and all that. So, you know, A.J. Dillon actually led the class in career red zone carries. Zach Moss was tied for second with 27 fewer red zone carries, but he was tied with the most red zone rushing touchdowns with uh, the big dog, Jonathan Taylor, in this class. And I just think Zach Moss, he makes people miss so much. Like, he had to make three people miss just to not get tackled behind the line. That's his bread and butter. I think he does it arguably better than anybody in this class. He forced a missed tackle on about 30% mm-hmm. of his carries in college. And his uh, PFF forced missed tackles per touch last year ranked third best in the last six years in 2019. And I want to dish on some of the pass catching upside, too. I tweeted out a list of running backs in the last 20 years or so who weighed uh, 220 pounds and had 500 yards in receiving in college and went on to be selected top 100 in the NFL draft. And it's a star-studded list, and Zach Moss is the only running back who meets that criteria from this 2020 class. And he had 66 catches at Utah, tied for the eighth most in this class. But Moss, Moss competition, he had the most receiving yards in this class. So how that happened is just making people miss in space. He broke 33 tackles on those 66 catches, led the running back class in yards after the catch, 782 yards after the catch. So, you know, moving moving into that final season, like Dobbins, unlike Swift, Zach Moss also tore it up to cap off his college career, uh, scoring 11 times final eight games, averaging over 160 yards per game from scrimmage over that stretch. And yeah, he had a couple of receiving touchdowns, caught 28 of 31 targets in his final season. Uh, best PFF receiving grade among all running backs, the red zone, the dominator numbers. Uh, so I'm only building this all up so I can be let down. <laughs> like, do you, do you think Zach Moss gets top 100 draft capital in April? Because I think a lot of how I have him ranked is contingent on. Yeah, that, right? for sure. And I think it could, you know, that could be right in the in the push range, to be honest with you. Um, the pick 100 yeah. would have him at the front of the fourth round. <laughs> so I think within the first four rounds, I think he should go based on his talent for sure. Um, and yeah, I think he could, he'd probably... And I think for me, he's probably a round three pick just based on the way running backs are valued. You mentioned it earlier that a round three pick on a running back is still really solid capital. And we can kind of be assured that a, a third round pick is going to get a guy volume in the NFL. So if he is selected in that top 100, he's definitely going to be getting the volume. And I think he's probably going to be just inside there. Yeah, and I think the combine medicals, like I'll be able to rank them where I need to rank them once I see where his draft capital is because I think the combine medicals are going to get exposed via draft capital. You know, like if he does slide in the draft, that should speak volumes about how his medicals look to the combine. It, the story is funny, eh? Like he was he was set to come out but suffered that knee-ending injury mm-hmm. in bizarre fashion, and he also missed time as a true freshman. So the injuries are the glaring issue with Moss, but I just think it's really his only drawback. And stuff like his age and how old he will be as a rookie in the NFL, it's somewhat explainable by those injuries, especially knowing he was set to declare for the draft had he not suffered that knee injury after nine right. games 2018. And I know some some people have issue with his speed too, right? But regardless of whether he suffered an injury or not during his 40, I was never expecting Moss to break 455 or anything. So I don't have any issues there, but... Are, are you worried about the age, worried about the athleticism? Neither, actually. I'm not worried about the age because I think we all know running backs have a bit of a shorter shelf life as it stands. So it doesn't really matter the age too much for me as far as Zach Moss. And then the athleticism, all you got to do is just watch him when he's wearing pads and he has the ball in his hand. I found on some plays when you're watching him, his feet almost look like they're in fast forward when he starts to accelerate. Yeah. It's kind of ridiculous. Cream hunts. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. I don't think there's anybody in this class that really has the feet that Zach Moss has. So uh, I'm not worried about the athleticism at all because in pads he looks way better. So uh, yeah, I'm not worried about either of those things for Zach Moss. The main the main knock, I guess, would be those injuries. But you said it really well that the draft capital is going to kind of out that. 
Yeah, and I, I think it's weird because it's almost impossible to try and pinpoint a landing spot with Zach Moss. He was easily the most popular player to visit with at the yeah. Combine, probably lending to the injury concerns. But at the same time, he met with some really interesting teams. And now that we're past the top three, that's another you know note we should say is the running backs start to have wider margins for the draft capital, right? So Moss, I could see him anywhere in round two, but who knows how far he could slide based on the medicals. Mm-hmm. But Moss met with Kansas City, hooked that up, Cream Hunt 2.0. My Steelers met with him, one of the dark horse running back landing spots I'd That'd love. Excellent. And we know they use their backs in the passing game, and he fits. And our lack of draft capital, though, we'll see how that one shakes out. Tampa Bay, the Chargers, Detroit Lions, Indianapolis Colts, and the Seattle so- uh, Seahawks, all those teams met with Zach Moss. And all could be in the mix for him, too. And all would be pretty nice as well. Yeah, he also met with the Saints, the Packers, and the Cardinals, and don't count the Saints I don't out. think so either. Yeah, I know. They have they have an extension to work out with Alvin Kamara, and they don't want to overwork a guy they're about to pay a crazy amount of money. Yeah, to. and they've always shown that they want to run a multiple back system as well, and Zach Moss alongside Al- Alvin Kamara would be electric. Nobody could touch that. Yeah, backfield, that'd be yeah. stinky. So yeah, Trav, I feel Zach Moss, he's pretty can't miss, but we worry if he has the durability to endure and all that. This next guy we should hit, Trav, let's go to our next guy. This is all about upside, Cam Akers. Some folks are sky high on Cam Akers. Nobody dislikes Cam Akers. What do you think? Because his college career is kind of a conglomerate of context. Yeah, I think there's a lot of context to be had. And you framed it really well, actually, on your prospect profile for Cam Akers. So any listeners should definitely go back and check out those prospect profiles that you were doing. But yeah, I mean, Cam Akers, if uh, if there was O-line adjusted metrics as far as what Cam Akers did at uh, Florida State, I think he'd be a top three running back in this class. Um, there, there might actually be O-line adjusted metrics, but I don't really know. That's kind of more your your wheelhouse, buddy. But uh, oh, I got <laughs> do some yeah, I like it. Can't wait for that. Oh, you know yeah, it. but that's a huge narrative with him, right? Is the offensive line, it sucked at Florida mm-hmm. State. And I think he made the most of um, the shit situation that he had there. I think you mentioned on that podcast, pod that he had over 1100 yards after contact uh, which kind of shows his his talent and his ability to create on his own even in a in a garbage situation there right so uh, yeah Ty I know uh, it sounded like you're pretty fired up to dish here on Cam Akers so why don't you uh, take it away well yeah it's just interesting because you mentioned he was able to create for himself and he did so mostly in 2017 2019 like 2018 was pretty forgettable pretty awful season for him but to tip the cap he did all he could to recoup that draft that you know draft stock that he lost in 2018 in his final season and cam Akers, he's super young i think he's going to be 20 years old when he gets drafted in april uh juju styles and speaking of young i think he broke the school record rushing record by a freshman i think it was dalvin cook's record and i'm just thinking about why the hell did he go to fsu uh cam Akers was like a he was supposed to be a stud coming out of high school he's a top 10 overall recruit i just i don't understand why he made that decision in retrospect (laughs) uh (laughs) <laughs> it's just so weird and yeah just to show you how awful the situation is here we go acres was hit behind the line of scrimmage 30 percent of the time at fsu about three times more than any of these other top running backs we've talked about graham barfield is the dude who charts uh yards blocked by the offensive right. lines he does it for his yards created right and he scored the worst in the last half decade cam acres and over 75 percent of his total yards in college came after contact and we haven't seen that out of a running back in a few years so you know, just and even going back to 2016, Cam Akers has the eighth most force missed tackles by any running back in a college career entering the draft. Saquon number one, Mixon number two, Dalvin Cook, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, just a group of studs, and David Montgomery's. On the list. <laughs> <laughs> so not a full group of studs, right? 
No, but how impressive does that make Cam Akers' final season? That's fantastic, know? man. It was a it was a great year, all things considered. And I love the age, like you said. Yeah, 20 years old coming out. That is really nice. I mentioned that I don't really worry about the age for Zach Moss too much as far as being up there a little bit. But when a guy's 20 years old, he only has room to grow. So I'm excited for that for Cam Akers. Another thing that I don't think we can sleep on is his pass catching. Uh, he had 30 receptions in his final year at Florida State. And as far as these running backs coming out in the class, he's actually fifth in receptions for that 2019 season behind a bunch of uh, receiving guys like J.J. Taylor, LaMichael P. Ryan, Eno Benjamin, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So fifth behind those guys is Cam Akers with those 30 receptions in 2019. So that is a really nice feather in the cap for him. And I think it's going to help him along the way to get that draft capital and help him stay on the field, which is what we're looking for in fantasy, right? Yeah, and that, that's the question because uh, a lot of what he showed us last year definitely looked, especially the yards after contact and the scoring. Mm-hmm. Like overall, he scored at a high rate last year, 16 touchdowns in his first 25 games of his career. And then he had 18 touchdowns in 11 games last year. And just to lend to that pass catching upside, which you nailed it, that is where Cam Akers' upside lies at the next level in fantasy. And he had four of those 18 touchdowns through the air last year. So that was really nice to see. And, you know, 69, 93 targets he caught at the college level. Seven receiving touchdowns are the second most in this running back class. And I I just, I want to ask you though, Trav, A, do you think he has elite pass catching upside like a DeAndre Swift, like a Clyde Edwards Z-Lair? And B, most importantly, do you think NFL teams see him as a three down back? Like, can he be a workhorse or do you think he's he's destined to be a satellite back plus at the next level? Hmm, I think he can be a workhorse. Like, I do like his size in that in that aspect of it. I do like the size for Cam Akers to be a workhorse. Um, I think he can run it between the tackles, give him a good O-line and let's see what the guy can do, right? So, uh, yeah, I think, I think he can definitely be a three down back and he's probably... He might be one of the last of the running backs in in these tiers that teams are going to see as a for sure three down running back, right? So I, I hope he gets that shot. And I, I think that the NFL teams are going to see him that way, especially with what he did at the combine. Um, yeah, it's looking up for Cam Akers. Yeah, I kind of fight with it because A, do teams really care about a super three down back anymore? Mm-hmm. Do they even need that? Right. You know what I mean? And then B... Uh, I don't think he's that necessarily. Not as much as I do with Zach Moss or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the guys he's in this tier populating with. But, you know, because you hear that expression with players all the time, the guys, all the physical tools. I'm not sold necessarily on Cam Akers. He bulked up for the combine. We have to remember that. And I just, I don't really think an NFL team's going to be drafting Cam Akers with the intention of feeding him 250 carries, you know? So it's easy to build the hype up for Akers because he's such an exciting back. And it's a lot to do with the the trio of running backs who, who returned to school. I think, you know, this was supposed to be such yeah. a strong running back class. People want to make Cam Akers out to be a little more foolproof than he is. I think he just, he checks very few boxes is the truth. And he, he's a, he's a risk reward pick in the mid first rounds of rookie drafts right now. And I think I have issues with that ball security. The hands are definitely in question. The drop rate more than 10%, 10 fumbles, seven loss mm-hmm. fumbles. So you know, those aren't the characteristics you want a running back to have if pass catching is the route to upside. And the, the fact that he won't be given a backfield, that's my point. Cam Akers, he's going to have to earn one in the NFL, 100%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, a good point. Good point. He is, uh, he's probably not going to be drafted as high as the other guys. And so, yeah, like you said, he's going to go somewhere where there is somebody else and he's going to have to kind of take over that job. So that's a really, really good point, And that's definitely going to affect his fantasy outlook. Yeah, so I think I showed my hand there that I think he's going to be a round three pick, not a round two pick. So are you going to challenge me to a duel on that one, or what do you think? No, I don't think I'm going to challenge you to a duel on that one. Uh, I think <laughs> third round is pretty pretty good for Cam Akers. 
Yeah, well, I, there's some good fits for him too. I mean, Atlanta makes so much mm-hmm. sense for me. I think it's just they added Gurley, cut Freeman. They still lack an explosive aspect to that running game. And Todd Gurley was an he was just awful in the passing game in 2019. The league's worst running back in yards per run. So Acres, he could be the lightning in that backfield. Tampa Bay met with Acres. The drop issues, ball security, Bruce Arians. I don't know. Kind of hate that one. <laughs> what do you think about Buffalo? They met with Acres. I think that's interesting because Singletary paid off for them last year after a horrible combine. They drafted him based on their eyes and the production, like the crazy college stats, right? And it would just be a total opposite to pair him with Cam Akers. I think that one's really Yeah, I think that is an interesting one as well because we know they want to be a run-heavy team. And we saw Frank Gore get uh, quite quite a bit of carries last year. And I think if you plunk Cam Akers into that Frank Gore volume, he immediately gets a lot more interesting for fantasy. So Buffalo is an interesting one. I'm kind of hoping that they keep Devin Singletary as the workhorse and just bring in ancillary pieces. But uh, I, I could see Cam Akers ripping it up there. Yeah, it would kind of suck for fantasy all around for sure. What about Pittsburgh? That's an interesting one to me. I don't want this, but it's a possibility. They will add a running back. I'm telling you, the Steelers will. They met with Cam Akers. I said, give me Moss, but last year I wanted Justice Hill or something, and they took Benny Loudmouth Snail. <laughs> so they, they, they could finally recognize in 2020 they need a compliment to James Conner or for the love of God, just add a different element to this running game. So, you know, shit teams for Akers, you know, his whole life. It'll be really interesting to see what he can do in the NFL uniform with maybe a good offensive line like in buffalo or something mm-hmm. would be really interesting i dig that i like how he works i like that steelers fit too that's a that'd be a decent one for him so should we go from the guy who was on the worst team in college to the guy who was on the dream team last yeah, year i think we should let's talk about the fresh prince of hilaire clyde edwards hilaire <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned it though man the the dream team with lsu and joe burrow uh, Clyde Edwards Hilaire, first off, he caught 55 balls last year, which is 13 more than any other player in this class. Uh, so definitely some solid floor in the passing game. Uh, I think the the question for me is whether he has the game to do it as a workhorse in the running game. I think I saw him get bottled up on inside runs a fair bit when I was watching him at LSU. And, and you know, I think there is some work to be done in that in that aspect there. But, you know, that that offense, do you think the offense at LSU boosted him up a lot? Do you think he's going to be overdrafted for fantasy tie? Or do you think that he kind of earned that role, even even regardless of the high powered offense that he was a part of? Yeah, I'll say for me, Clyde Edwards-Elair is probably the toughest guy to evaluate because of the offense he was in and because the NFL is valuing high. He's kind of worked his way into the top 50 pick conversation, at least in NFL draft circles. And and there's no question we're being left to ask ourselves, how heavily was his usage tied to that play calling by Joe Brady, that quarterback play by Joe Burrow? I am kind of somewhere in the middle, right? Like if if we were able to see this from Clyde Edwards-Elair throughout his whole college career, he would be our number one back, basically. Mm-hmm. Like he would be up there with the top tier. You know, what I will say is he's too balled up. Like he's 5'7", 207 pounds. He has a really good BMI. And, you know, I love that Clyde was a Baton Rouge kid. He's a hometown kid. So I love that he was able to fight off all the people that were coming for his job the whole time in college. Uh, I do think he has three down ability too because of that center of gravity and all that. So I think he's a really interesting conversation because I'll value him pretty much how the NFL values him, right? And it won't surprise me if he's, say, the second or third highest drafted running back in this entire class just because of what NFL teams saw him do in a pro-style offense last year. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think you nailed that as well, man. Um, that offense was really, really good, and he got to showcase some of his skills, right? Like we were talking before the show actually about how deadly his spin move is, um, and Clyde's got some really nice moves in space when he's got a defender to beat. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely got some skill, and it's nice that he got to have that breakout season with LSU because I'm not sure if we'd really be talking about him this much if, if he didn't, obviously. So it's going to be an interesting one to see him because, like you said, he's really hard to evaluate, and it's really hard to pinpoint where he's going to go and what his role is going to be. Yeah, it's chicken and egg. (laughs) What came first? Well, it really is because that offense was so good, but he really was, and he made a lot of that happen for himself. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, over half his rushing yards came after contact. He broke 84 tackles on 270 touches last year, and he had the six most 10 and 20-plus yard plays in the entire nation last year. Uh, That's carries and receptions combined. And I was looking, last year, only five running backs had over six yards per carry and 16 touchdowns. Chuba Hubbard, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So that's a pretty Mm -hmm. sexy list to be in. Some good company. And you don't do that just by being in an offense. You know what I mean? I'd, I definitely scale back some of the red zone usage that we could project, but I just love his upside, you know, and that list, uh, Cam Akers cracked about force missed tackles. Clyde Edwards, he is the only other 2020 running back, uh, who is in that top 10 list since 2016. But yeah, I just want to backtrack a bit here, Trav. Do you think he is a three down back or will he just be a pass catcher satellite satellite back plus? That's what we need to ask Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards. Mm-hmm. For me, I think he's probably a satellite back plus. I just don't think, much like you said with Cam Akers, I don't think he's going to be drafted to take the entire pie. Uh, and I think there are some running backs who could maybe take the early down work over Clyde Edwards Hilaire with him being um, somebody who excels in the passing game. So I think he has some chops in the running game for sure, but I don't think he is that talented in the running game that he's going to take over an entire backfield. So yeah, I think satellite back plus is pretty, pretty safe for me. Yeah, I think I'm kind of on the other side. Like, I think he has that upside to be more so than Cam Akers. Like, he was a reliable guy over 400 touches and calls, just one fumble. And he has the nuance, no doubt. I know we don't want to be addition scouting profiles or whatever, but Clyde Edwards is there, that footwork, the jump cuts, the pace changes. We just love all that. And I don't think he's going to be breaking any long runs off constantly mm-hmm. or anything. You know, he's just too balled up for that breakaway long speed. But that lateral agility in concert with that compact frame, the versatility, the pass catching, yeah. But you can move this guy all around the formation. He runs complex routes and all that. So, you know, I, I think he does everything that an NFL team's going to be chasing. And a lot of stuff that translates, the force missed tackles and everything. And so if he landed on a team willing to give him kind of, you know, a lot of volume, uh, I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the guy who fits the bill more so than a Cam Akers hmm. a little bit, in my opinion. And we're talking concerns, you know, the yards per carry and all that before, like 80% of his numbers came in 2019 Mm -hmm. so in the midst of LSU kind of taking the world by storm transforming that offense so you know Trav what do you think teams make of that like what if we saw Darius Geis in this offense and then get into some landing spots Darius Geis in that offense he'd be I know he'd be coming out (laughs) as probably my number one running back for sure until the interviews yes (laughs) yeah good point good point but uh as far as landing spots for Clyde the Glide um I think some of the other ones that we already mentioned right like I think Atlanta would be kind of interesting because uh he could take some of that passing work from Gurley and potentially spell him and work his way into uh the back of the future there Uh, I think that is an interesting one and then you know we talked about the Seattles and the Indies those are just kind of dream landing spots for for any team um when we're not talking about the Baltimore KC's I think those are kind of just one mini step down so uh there's there's a bunch of different places that he could go really where do, where do you like him well i think you mentioned man he met he's the second most popular dude behind zach moss and he has no degenerative knee concerns mm-hmm. attached to him so very interesting the, the league loves this guy man and there's some teams that really jump off the page like the colts and jacksonville and those teams that 
aren't meeting with some of the big guys, but they're meeting with these guys. You know what I mean? And then he also met with the Chiefs, so giddy up. I said Clyde Edwards Larry can run those complex routes in the passing game, used all over the formation. I think Andy Reid would love a Clydesdale mm-hmm. in his backfield. And if so, I, I like he's he might be my one on one in rookie draft. So Kansas City, sixty three overall, that's the dream landing spot for sure. I like it. So, Trav, there's a good transition here. I didn't mention one of the bigger causes for concerns with Clyde Edwards-Elair. Amongst the top seven running backs in my rookie rankings and ADP right now, only two failed to break out before the age 19. Clyde Edwards-Elair is one. The next guy we're going to go to, A.J. Dillon, is the other. And he's a fun dissection because there's so much to love, but a fair bit of skepticism. So, what are you thinking with A.J. Dillon? Yeah, I think he has been a pleasant surprise for me, actually. I think he showed really well at the Combine. And obviously, when I watched him, he he profiles as that big back, the guy who's going to get the first and second uh, second down carries and get some really good red zone work, almost like a Derrick Henry light kind of thing for me. But then you look a little bit deeper into it. You mean it. Derrick Henry short? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Derrick Henry <laughs> short. Well, let me put it this way, princess. <laughs> Men of Farquaad stature are in short supply. <laughs> oh no, Shrek. There are those who think little of him. <laughs> I think he had a lot of work. He had the second most carries in this class. So I think he he profiles as somebody who can get it done in the running game. I just worry a little bit that uh, that maybe somebody's going to draft him to be just that, and then he's going to be a lot more limited as far as his fantasy ceiling without getting any passing work. Yeah, and if you haven't heard, A.J. Dillon, 247 pounds, ran the 4.53, best vertical at the running back position at the Combine, 97th percentile speed score, 97th percentile burst score. Uh, I spotted on lots of pods about A.J. Dillon, comparing him to some unbelievable freaks at the running back position. Historically, won't do that again. Uh, but yeah, Trav, you'd agree, he's, he's got to be your biggest riser in rookie ranks through the draft draft process right oh yeah for sure i didn't think i even i don't think i even had him in my top 15 before before this process and now i've got him at running back 10 yeah, I think, you know, it's not hard to be underwhelmed by Boston College. We should have we should have mentioned that he's out of Boston College. They're infamous for not throwing to the running backs and also using them up in college. And A.J. Dell was no different in that sense. You mentioned he had second most uh, carries in this class. He actually averaged the most touches per game, even more than Jonathan hmm. Taylor. So definitely had the volume. I think he did have a little bit of production, that's for sure. Over 1,000 yards rushing and double-digit touchdowns every year in college football career. Uh, over 40% market share and team touches all three seasons too. And check this out. In his career, A.J. Dillon faced a stack box on more than 75% of his carries. Over that time, almost 100 more carries than any other running back uh, faced eight-man fronts. Just crazy amount of stack boxes. But 73% of his career rushing yards and 87% of his touchdowns came against stack boxes. Hmm. So didn't really matter. That's why I like A.J. Dillon is because he had the volume, but he was able to show some of the efficiency or at least put the production up. And I've mentioned a couple little studies going back uh, in the last 20 years, only four power five running backs averaged more rushing yards per game in their college career. Jonathan Taylor, LaMichael James, Adrian Peterson, Ray Rice, and then fifth, there's A.J. Dillon. Hmm, I like it. Yeah, it definitely shows that the guy can get it done on the ground. Do you have any concerns about his pass catching ability at all? Because he only had uh, 21 receptions in his college career. So definitely some opportunity as far as volume in the passing game. Yeah, but I, I just think 21 catches at BC, that's like 2,100 catches in other programs. <laughs> okay. Like, you know, I wonder if Andre, remember Andre Williams? I wonder if he hit double digits in his career uh, for catches there. Anyways, not. I just don't think it's a very usable sample size, but it's interesting to note, A.J. Dillon actually put up 11.2 yards per reception on his limited work. That's third highest in the class. I know it's limited, but, you know, he was able to force 80 missed tackles last year on the ground. So if you get this guy in space, you know, that was 
number one in the ACC ahead of Travis Etienne. So if you get this guy in space, he's going to make people miss. I'm not going to preclude him from being a pass catcher. I'm not going to expect it by any means, though. But I do think he can be sort of the Derrick Henry, you know what I mean, where he's going to give you 20, 25 catches. And if he gets that one screen pass, he, he could take it to the house. So, Trav, why, why are you so low on A.J. Dillon? Are you thinking he's going to be selected pretty late in the NFL draft, or are you thinking he's just totally one-dimensional? Um, yeah, I think a part of it is the one-dimensional factor, and I think that's going to lead to a little bit lower draft capital, right? So I think a team taking him is going to be taking him on his work in the running game, and I don't think he has the upside that Derrick Henry has to be one of those outliers who's going to give you, like, top 12 running back production off of mainly rushing work right so I don't think he has that ceiling um, if he's going to be drafted as somebody who runs just on first and second down as the banger yeah well guess what Trav he don't need it because he's going to (laughs) Seattle Seattle met with him regardless how we feel about Chris Carson I think we should all agree that it's it's not in anybody's best interest to give that dude 300 touches he just needs to make a lot of his bread after contact so you know AJ Dillon could come right in play goal line back for Seattle easily could mix in and Seattle's a rare team that won't offer a ton of pass catching upside to any running right. back in their offense, but can still make them fantasy viable. So that's the dream landing spot along the same lines. Actually, Houston, they met with them, but they met with every running back. But and they just added an over the hill way to Justin Freak. So, yeah, we, <laughs> you know, it'd be interesting to see uh, how that works out. You know, you could have A.J. Dillon there, a couple of weight adjusted freaks, one old one, one young guy. <laughs> Yeah, I like that. And, you know, in Houston, we know that he would be in line for 250 carries or so. Uh, So that is a good landing spot there. I like that. Uh, I think Baltimore might be a decent landing spot for him as well, just because uh, much like Seattle, they don't pass to their running backs. So they just need the guy to get it done on the ground. And uh, I think A.J. Dillon can do it. Yeah, Mark Ingram only had like 55% of the goal line carries or something last year and just dominated in there. So hook that Mm -hmm. up for sure. Absolutely. Okay, Ty. So um, you mentioned A.J. Dillon and how I've got him a little bit lower. I would actually have A.J. Dillon in my tier three. So I think that's a really nice lead into our third tier, hey? Yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people are with you there where Zach Moss, well, let's do it this way, where Cam Akers, Clyde Edwards, Elaire, and Zach Moss are everybody's tier two pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're pretty solid in my tier two as well. So why don't you give me how you have those three ranked really quick, just so listeners know Zach Moss, Clyde Edwards, Elaire, and Cam Akers. Yeah, I have it in exactly reverse order of how you just said it. So I have Cam Akers at four, Clyde Edwards, Elaire at five, and Zach Moss at running back six. How about you? How do you have them? Yeah, I have Zach Moss, Cam Akers, and Clyde edwards Lair, But I really, like we said, they're so darn close. Mm-hmm. Very close. So, uh, all right, Ty. So you built the show sheet and you got to lead tier two into Zach Moss. So I'm leading tier three into my man, Keyshawn Vaughn. How about that? That's excellent. We like Keyshawn Vaughn, sort of. I can't make up my mind. <laughs> I know you can't. Um, I like Keyshawn Vaughn. Um, just to kind of run down a little bit of stuff on him here. He had that breakout year in 2018 after transferring from Illinois to Vanderbilt. Um, In 2018, he actually was top 20 in rushing and scrimmage yards in the NCAA. And he was 25th in the nation with 14 total touchdowns. 12 of those came on the ground. So, uh, yeah, Keyshawn Vaughn had a great 2018 in his first year at Illinois. And then in 2019, we did see a little bit of a dip in that production. But I think the offense there overall got way worse. Uh, Kyle Shermer left as their quarterback, so that was a big hit. And they kind of underwent some (laughs) transit. Fuck, I heard that. Why do people love that guy so (laughs) much? Well, no, he just had some decent (laughs) college work. He was very, very productive. (laughs) Hey, fuck off, okay? (laughs) (laughs) and definitely i don't think the o-line was very great at vanderbilt in that uh in that last season for 
Keyshawn Vaughn. So uh, 2019, you know, he was outside the top 30 in most of those categories, but he did have 55% of the team's carries and over 65% of the team's rushing yards. So he handled the load for Vanderbilt, and I think he uh, he showed pretty well there. Uh, what, what's got you so on the fence on Keyshawn Vaughn? Oh, it's exactly that. The duality to his profile. Right. right? I've admitted, I, admittedly, I'm very seesawed on him quite a bit. And you know, it's, he's even seesawed on us when it comes to senior bowl and showing up at the combine yeah. or whatever, you know, and he's an older prospect, you know, he played four years in college, but he broke out when he was young, you know, it's just so bizarre. And over those two scenes at VU, if you put his stats together, they're incredible. And even, you know, it was underwhelming in 2019, but he was over a thousand yards rushing double digit touchdowns, both seasons at Vanderbilt in a pretty crap offense. And he caught 41 balls in his two years there, uh, over 10 yards per reception at Vanderbilt. And, you know, even his yards per reception, if you include all that Illinois crap, he's still the fourth best in yards <laughs> per reception in this class. So he has the pass catching upside. There's no doubt. And I think the more I dig into the situation, you know what I mean? The more I appreciate what he was able to do. It's it's really similar to what we talk about with uh, Cam Akers. And the 2018 was off the, off the Richter scale. He was top five in the nation in yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Almost eight yards per carry. He had 1,250 yards rushing on 150 carries. And... This is what I want to say. He forced 40 missed tackles in 2018. In 2019, yeah, he fell down to like 5.2 yards per carry or something like that. And, you know, the offensive line, all that. But he still forced 54 missed tackles in 2019. So he still tried to create for himself the best he could. And, you know, I just, I don't want to make excuses for Keyshawn Vaughn. That's my problem. It's just the duality. You know, he's he's broke out at 18 years old, but he's going to be 23 years old in his rookie season. I just, I can't get him any higher than I have him you know what I mean um one thing I want to pull though it's another compliment for Keyshawn Vaughn his red zone use is very interesting just three running backs drafted as top 12 backs in rookie ADP right now had less than 14 percent of their career carries come inside the red zone Keyshawn Vaughn is one of them meanwhile his 32 percent touchdown conversion is the third best in this class so it'll be really interesting to see if he can get some of this usage and like are you with me do you think he might have that three down upside because of his pass catching upside I think he's got it. I think he's got it. I think the big question is whether he's going to be given the opportunity to show it in the NFL because there's not a whole lot of buzz around his name, to be honest with you. Um, but I think he's got some of that upside to do it if he gets the right fit. I think he, you know, he would benefit from a good offensive line in the NFL because he's not going to be going against the college competition. Um, he's going to be going against the big boys, right? And I'm really curious to see if that can translate when he's playing against these uh, these NFL studs. Yeah, and I, I just think he's lost a little bit of stock with the senior bowl outing and you know the weight fluctuation from the combine but you know i'll give him credit he added weight at the combine and everything which i was like ah oh, whatever he added weight he's gonna run slow he ran pretty good so yeah four you know, he, four five one he ran i was really pleasantly yeah, surprised with that very pleasantly surprised. i'm i'll be honest i fist pumped a little bit because i knew you were on the fence about him and i knew i liked yeah. him and so you ran the four <laughs> totally. five one and i was like Fuck yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. And I, I think he it, makes Ty. a lot of sense. So I, I have a place. He needs the pass catching upside. So we need that to manifest if this landing spot was to make sense. But I like him in Tennessee. They met with him. Dude. They want to add a back behind Derrick Henry in some capacity. Deion Lewis is gone now. And Keyshawn Vaughn's probably there in the third or fourth round. So I actually kind of like the, the Tennessee landing spot. Other than that, he's just met with like Atlanta and Green Bay and some other teams that just don't make a lot of sense. So I really like him in Tennessee, actually. I like that little spot, too, because definitely Dion Lewis is out of there and they're going to want to add something. And I think they're going to look to the, you know, the mid rounds of the draft for that as well. So I like the Tennessee spot. And it's a good, you know, guy to have behind Derrick Henry if Derrick Henry just get hurt, too. For sure. You think we should start going through these guys a little quicker here, my man? Let's do it. Make sure we can hit some of these cats. Let's do it. 
Okay, so I know you got one that you want to talk about. It's your man Antonio Gibson. Uh, this guy's getting a lot of buzz in the fantasy. Well, a lot of like underground buzz in the fantasy community. Um, and I think it's really warranted. So why don't you uh, spit some Antonio Gibson flames, Ty? Yeah, well, he's, he's still listed as a wide receiver on MFL.com and in rookie ADP, obviously. So, yeah, he will be a running back, though. Even his speed score, the measurables, the tiny hands, the sloppy routes, like Antonio Gibson has to be a running back. He even says he's a running back at the senior bowl. He said that. And in that eventuality, he becomes extremely valuable. He'll profile like Ty Montgomery, but even more of a weight-adjusted machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's explosive, but he has a 122.8 speed score. That is unbelievable, 99th percentile speed score. He's kind of a long story, like, He's from that new running back factory down in Memphis. Maybe you've heard of him. Yeah. Basically, no playing time due to Daryl Henderson, Tony Pollard, Patrick Taylor from this class. But, you know, he saw next to zero work as a wide receiver as well. But when PT went down with injury in 2019, Antonio Gibson came in and played great. He saw 71 of his minuscule 77 career touches in 2019. He scored 12 touchdowns on his 71 touches last year. On his 71 touches, he broke 33 tackles. 38 catches on 56 targets, and he was number one in the nation in yards after the catch per reception. Quarterback had almost a 150 rating when targeting him, and he almost had a 20 yards per reception. On the ground, 11 of his 33 carries went for 10-plus yards. This guy is a freak, I'm telling you. And in the last 10 years, there's 54 running backs come to the combine over 225 pounds. Only three players ran 4-4 or faster. Niles Davis, Jonathan Taylor, and Saquon Barkley, and now Antonio Gibson. Boom. Yeah, so I'm not making any comps, just showing how crazy his athleticism is. Totally. Just one extra little cherry on the top here. I was just kind of digging through some of this class and some of their numbers. So the the second best running back in this class as far as career yards per touch is Raymond Calais with eight yards per touch. And the first running back on that list is Antonio Gibson with 15.6 yards per touch. That is unbelievable. It's uh, He's definitely a curious case because you mentioned he only had 33 carries, but a lot of people like him as a pass-catching running back, and uh, I think he profiles as that really well. So do you think he's going to get run as a running back in the NFL? I guarantee he's a running back yeah? in the NFL. Yeah, nice. I just have no idea where he gets drafted, right? Like he's He shapes up like the guy we're going to get overexcited for for fantasy, I think. At least the fantasy community really loves this guy, right? But we love Booby Williams, too. We love these guys every year, and sometimes they just they don't get the draft mm-hmm. capital. So, you know, if a team comes out, takes him in the third or fourth round, like we saw with the Jalen Hurd with San Francisco or something, you know, these players, they're only as valuable as a team values them, so to speak. So, you know, if he gets drafted in, say, the second round, he's going to be Joe Mixon, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm telling you. <laughs> totally. Well, and there could be some teams who just don't really know exactly how to use him, right? And I, I think Joe Mixon, by the way, might be his comp on player profiler, by the way. I like it. Let me check that real quick, actually, because I'm curious. <laughs> you got that right. Joe Mixon. I like that comp yeah. quite a bit, actually. And I think, you know, if he goes somewhere like the one we just talked about, Tennessee, if he went to Tennessee to back up Derrick Henry, I think there is a lot of different ways he could be used there. I like that spot. Um, what do you think about uh, where Antonio Gibson goes? Oh, I have no idea. He fits anywhere, right? I have a weird one I just thought of the top of my head. Maybe like a Washington, they lost Chris mm, Thompson. Yeah. They have a lot of upside for somebody to kind of steal that backfield. I know Darius Geis. I know Bryce Love. We love all these guys. But frankly, none of them are, are panning out, really. So it would be really interesting to see Antonio Gibson somewhere where he, he can get some pass catching right away for sure. Mm-hmm. All right, dude. So the next guy, um, we talked about the pass catching upside for Antonio Gibson. And this guy is, uh, he's different, but he's got a lot of pass catching upside as well. 
That would be Eno Benjamin out of Arizona State. The guy was a pass-catching maven. I think we know that. And he did have some rushing work there as well. But I think the, you know, the biggest piece of his game was the pass-catching work. What are you thinking for Eno? Do you have him in your top 12, Ty? I do have him in my top 12 running backs. He's my RB11, so I'm definitely lower than ADP on Eno Benjamin. And for a ton of reasons, really. I mean, he came into the combine over 205 pounds. Everyone loved to see that. But he was 195 at the Senior Bowl. And... He didn't run fast. We all warned about that. I think me and you talked about Mm -hmm. that during that combine preview that we warned folks about Eno. And, you know, what's his upside at the NFL level? 10 to 15 touches. You know, that's kind of his ceiling, in my opinion. And while he was an exciting guy in college football, just a jump cut station popped on tape. But he's just always looking to bounce things outside. He is that kind of back. And, you know, he he did run a bad 40. I'll give it up, though. He did well in the peripheral drills, over 60th percentile in every drill, 80th percentile burst score, good speed score, good good agility score. But how small he is, the fact that he doesn't have that long speed, the fact that he's destined to be a satellite back. You know, I want to know, what do you think, Trav? Do you think he can at least come with that satellite plus tag? Or, you know, would Eno be able to step up and carry the load in the NFL if that situation presented himself? Uh, I don't think he's taking a full load. Um, Not never, right? No, I don't think so. I think satellite back plus is probably ceiling for him. Um, I I don't know. I think he'd need a really good offensive line and uh, and just like a dynamic offense to really show it show it in the run game. Uh, but I think as far as the receiving game, I mean, this guy could be probably you know peak seasons Gio Bernard in in the passing game. Uh, I think he's really really good in that facet. He had 82 receptions in his college career, and that's the most in this class. And that's where his upside is going to lie. So if he were to go somewhere that's just going to use him as that, I think obviously his ceiling is capped. But I think the pass catching would be intriguing, especially where you're starting to get him in drafts right now. He's going in like the the mid-second of rookie drafts. And I think if he goes somewhere where you can see a, a role like that, like if he were the the Deion Lewis to Derrick Henry in Tennessee, I think that's not too bad because Deion Lewis did have some sneaky reception totals there. Uh, so I think he needs a role somewhat like that in order to be fantasy relevant because it's not going to be in the run game for me. Yeah, exactly. And I really worry about that long speed and it shows up. I think uh, it's just tough. You know, you need to add something in the run game. And I know Eno is slow, but a, a way I've explained this previously is with David Montgomery, right? And I know it's a lot different, the profile players, but it's that Eno has the same stats flying in the face of one another. Guys who crush and force missed tackles, evaded tackles and all that, but they're not compiling yards after the contact. I think it's an exact science. Like, his efficiency fell off a cliff in 2019. That's what happened with Eno. He's one of these backs who had a better 2018 than he did 2019. Mm-hmm. And that's a big smudge on his resume, right? His final season. That efficiency fell off because of the lack of big plays. And, like, maybe I'll just compare some of his 2018 numbers really quick here. Sure. Eno had almost 100 force missed tackles in 2018. Just insane. Uh, he had the second best force missed tackles per carry. 0.27. All in that 2018 season. And he also had a ton of volume, so he did that on a ton of volume. In retrospect, even his 5.5 yards per carry, 5.7 yards per touch in 2018, that's nothing to get giddy about, but we can appreciate it because of the volume and 0.27 force missed tackles. And it really had a lot to do with that force missed tackle number. So in 2019, Eno forced 71 missed tackles, and because of the dip in volume, he had almost an identical 0.25 force missed tackles per carry. The problem is Eno had under three yards per contact after attempt, and that just won't cut it. It's it's really scary. It's why he had 4.3 yards per carry. Like, that is a shit yards per carry. He was under five yards per touch. 
And just to wrap up, a few more nuggets. Like, he was an ultra workhorse over the last two years at Arizona State. Like, he led college football with 335 touches in 2018, more than Jonathan Taylor. But, you know, on top of the 600-yard dip in production he suffered in his final season, uh, he had five fumbles, massive drop-off in big plays, especially long runs. And I don't know. The tra- the problem is, Trav, I can't, I did all this with Devin Singletary last year. <laughs> all this. Everything I just said, I just said about Devin Singletary last year. So is that like a vote of confidence for Eno or? <laughs> I guess, I, well, what I'm asking you is, do you think he gets the draft capital like Singletary got? Like, it will I be doing the same thing I did last year with him in 2020 with Eno? Like a team does spend a top three round pick on Eno Benjamin and I'm forced to eat it and rank him much higher than I want to. Mm, I don't think he has uh, has what Devin Singletary has. I think Devin Singletary is a lot better in the run game than he is. Um, and I don't think he's going to go to a place where he's got Frank Gore alongside him and he's going to be the only guy who has any form of pop to his game, let's say, right? So I don't think Eno's going to go to a spot that Singletary did and I don't think he has uh, the all-around game that I think Singletary has. So uh, I don't think it's quite there for, for Eno. Yeah, I think it's a terrible comp. I just think it's funny that a lot of people are trying to make that connection with the slow 40 time and all that stuff. So it's interesting because Eno, to me, he has a lot of holes and he's just not going to translate very well. And it's unfortunate because he's really exciting to watch on tape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I kind of learned my lesson last year with Justice Hill to an extent. Like he's a, he's he's not going to even be at that level. All right, Ty, who's the next guy you want to talk about in this tier? Okay, let's do crab cakes and football. That's what Maryland does. So let's go to Anthony <laughs> McFarland, <laughs> AMAC out of Maryland. Uh, a player I probably feel the guiltiest about, Trav, because I have him as my running back 14. I think he's like RB Holy 10 and ADP cow. or something. So yeah, him and Josh Kelly, they should be higher in my rankings for sure. Uh, he's a little guy from the Big Ten. Uh, he did come into the combine at 208 pounds. We'd love to see that. He's five foot eight, And here we go again, Trav. Stop me if you heard this before. He had a far better 2018 season. Uh, McFarland had injuries in 2019, but what what are your thoughts on Anthony McFarland? Am I way too low on him? Uh, I think you're too low on him. I've got him at running back nine for me. I think he uh, he definitely has what it takes for the NFL. He showed that he can do it in the passing game. He looks really good in the running game, like lots of breakaway runs for him. You know, if he sees a hole, he's going to hit it and he's going to hit it hard. So uh, I'm pretty high on Anthony McFarland. It's nice to see that he's the running back 10 in ADP because I'm kind of right in line with the masses, I guess. But uh, yeah, I really like Anthony McFarland. Um, why do you hate him so much? Yeah, that's. I don't think I hate him so much. I just think everybody loves him so much. Right. You know what I mean? I don't see a lot of separation between uh, him and some other players, really. And I, I, maybe I'll give some context here because he's very high in some people's rankings. They'll cite his incredible 2018 season and they'll tell me he was hurt in 2019, which is true. But there's context to apply to that context. So double context here. Whoa, job. man! The 2000 <laughs> 2018 season, it was nuts. One of four players in college football that year to have a thousand yards rushing on less than 150 carries almost eight yards per carry top 10 in the nation broke tackles like no tomorrow almost four yards after contact per attempt and i think we all remember the game versus ohio state where anthony mcfarland had almost 300 yards mm-hmm. rushing. now fast forward to 2019 and he did battle the ankle injury he missed time but we saw almost as many touches from him and we also saw his teammate come out and put up a 2018 anthony mcfarland season so <laughs> you know we can't do the thing where we blame the team for his final season so check this out. McFarland had 139 touches in 2018 when he had eight yards per touch. Right. He had 131 touches last year, and he averaged just two and a half yards less every time he touched the ball. So, you know, it's all upside with him. That's what I'm saying. The age-adjusted production, it's nice. The mystery box pass catching because 
you know, do you have any worries about that? We didn't see a ton of sample size from the passing game. Yeah, that's true. He only had 17 receptions in the 2019 season. And then that big 2018 season, he only had seven receptions. So um, definitely some low volume there. But from what I watched of him, I think he can definitely do it. Uh, I'm not sure he's going to necessarily get the shot or the draft capital in the NFL. But I think if someone, if someone gives it to him, he, he showed he's got some speed at the combine with that 4-4-4. And he has an 85th percentile speed score. So I think some teams are going to be enticed by him. And I think he could be one of those later round running backs that comes out and shows that he can be a top 20 fantasy back if he gets a shot yeah and i'm ready to shoot him up my rankings he's a guy i'll target him in zero rb team builds as well once he has an nfl landing spot you know what i mean i'm just kind of waiting because you mentioned that game breaking ability trap 56 carries of 10 plus yards at maryland almost 23 percent of his carries went for 10 plus yards that is the best explosive run rate in the running back class uh but do you have any worry about this guy's durability like do you think he has the talent to warn us buying the risk that comes with McFarland. You know what I mean? The the ceiling, the endurance. I want all those things in the mystery box pass catching. Do you think he's worth it at running back 10? Yeah, I think he's probably worth it for me. I, I just think that talent, man, as long as he gets a shot, he's going to show it. He's going to be able to show it. And so I'm not too, too worried. Um, I don't think the injury history was huge. Obviously, 2019 was a little bit concerning, but uh, I, I'm not too worried about that just yet because I, I think he can do it. And I think he's going to be a value in drafts. Yeah, and one way I could see that happening is if he landed in a spot with a team that he met with, and that's the Atlanta Falcons. I've said Mm -hmm. it like 11 times in this episode, that explosive run. They need that explosive run uh, factor to their, they need that element to the run game. So, you know, Todd Gurley didn't have that, Devontae Freeman didn't have that, and 10% explosive run rate for Atlanta overall. So get the guy who has the best explosive run rate in this class in your running back room. That would solve a lot of issues. The other one that interests me is Tampa Bay. If they bypass running back early and just, you know, want a pass catching running back to improve on Dario Gumbawale, mm-hmm. I think Tom Brady, Tom Brady would love Anthony. McCall. For sure. They actually had a surprising uh, share of their targets go to running backs last year. Um, and Tom Brady throwing to running backs is just cash money, right? So uh, I like that spot Nobody's there. done it, Mo. Mm-hmm. I like it. Okay, Ty. So before we get out of here, um, I just want to note there are two other running backs that are in your top 12. So I want to give you the shot to uh, chat about them a little bit. That'd be Michael Warren. And then you've got Patrick Taylor as your running back 12. So why don't you start with Michael Warren? Yeah, Michael Warren's a guy I'm just a fan of. He's nicknamed the truck. How can you not love a guy like (laughs) like that? that. (laughs) Yeah, and he broke out at 19. Another guy who had a really good season in 2018, underwhelmed in his final season. But some of the numbers he did put up in 2018 were pretty incredible. And, you know, over the last two seasons at Cincinnati, he's had over 260 touches both seasons, over 1,400 yards from scrimmage, uh, over 16 touchdowns both seasons, just tons of force missed tackles. Almost 20% of his catches went for 15-plus yards. So a lot of red zone stuff that's being slept on with Michael Warren, a lot of pass-catching upside that people aren't giving him credit for. So I really like Michael Warren. I just think there's players like Keyshawn Vaughn. A lot of these players are very tightly bunched to me. And a lot of people have him separated a lot in their in their rookie rankings. As for Patrick Taylor, I just I really like him. He's the guy from Memphis. I've mentioned he played ahead of Daryl Henderson and uh, Tony Pollard there. I'd call him the PT Cruiser, but he's kind of just a banger. So I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, you know, he, he's just a really good running back when it comes to short yardage. He's very good at converting those short yard downs, and he he could profile as a goal line back at the next level. And across 2017 and 2018, because he got hurt this year, mm-hmm. uh, it's the only reason we saw Antonio Gibson right. 
but he had over 2,300 yards from scrimmage, over 400 touches. Uh, 32 of his 39 career touchdowns came in those two seasons, So, and that was when he was younger, right? So a decent breakout age. And, you know, decent yards after the contact numbers, and I just really think he's going to profile as that short down back. He had the six most red zone carries in this class, and only Zach Moss and Jonathan Taylor had more red zone rushing touchdowns in this class. Do you, do you think Patrick Taylor gets drafted, though, Trav? Because yeah. he's met with Tampa Bay, Atlanta. Maybe Tampa Bay replaces Peyton Barber with a with a much better version of him in Patrick Yeah, Taylor. no doubt, no doubt. I think uh, with those visits, I think he could go in one of the later rounds, but he's he's right on the edge, man. He could be one of those nice UDFAs, but he's he's going to be in the back of the draft if he does get drafted. Yeah. And Trav, I do plan to hit some of these guys just in some quick hitter fashions. I want to make sure we get some of the information out because we're not going to get a lot of, we're not going to get pummeled with the same information that we usually do when, say, a Joshua Kelly meets with the Steelers or something. You know, we're not going to get a lot of that information where people are going to be like, oh, I better read up on Joshua Kelly. So just players like that, that I I am still going to hit. If you didn't hear a name that we discussed today, I will hit them uh, before the draft for sure. Yeah, I like that. I like that you're going to do that, Ty, because uh, I think it makes some sense to do some of these players some justice, right? Because uh, running backs pop out of nowhere in fantasy all the time, and some of these names could be the ones to do it. So, yeah, if you're going to put out some quick hitter stuff, I think it's going to be really cool to lay that out for people who maybe don't have the time to do the digging themselves and they just want to want to get their listen on, and uh, I think you can provide that for them. So that'd be sweet if you're if you're planning on doing that. All right, dude, I think that wraps it up for this episode. Um, Yeah, I think it was a good look at kind of our top 12 running backs and going through the tiers. And like you said, there's more to come on these guys as well. So uh, on that note, actually, Ty, I think I got one more episode in me before I go off on my uh, parental leave. I appreciate you allowing that. (laughs) <laughs> a little bit of maternity leave there, yeah. Yeah, it's actually called paternity leave, thanks. Um, not maternity. Yeah, I can't believe we have to reissue that every time you have a new kid. I thought it was like a one-time thing. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, you get it every kid. Yeah, spread it out over all the kids. Yeah, you got to spread that shit out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking before the show, and I got 10, 10 days before we're due. So I'm going to take a little bit of time off just to figure out... Uh, how life with three kids works and uh, working in podcasting to that. So uh, I appreciate that you're going to hold the fort down. Uh, We're going to try and line up a couple of guests for Ty as well. So stay tuned for that. And uh, yeah, like I said, I got one more episode in me. So um, it's going to be a good one. Yeah. And I'll do my best to man the ship. Oh, I have no doubt. Should we, are we going to refer to it as a fort or ship? We should probably set that straight. You said fort. Oh, it's hard. I, I like fort. Hold down the fort. Yeah, I like hold down the fort too. It sounds strong. I did just see Captain Phillips for the. I had never seen it. I just saw it like a few months ago. It was great. Right. Well, and we are on the west coast, right? So the ship kind of yeah. also makes sense. Um, we That's do have I'm the saying. shipyard down here. So, uh, let's just call it whatever comes into our brain at the time. Ugh. All right. <laughs> Why do you have to have it set? Why do you have to put a title on it, man? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I will be in the ivory tower of the castle. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're going to hold it down. I have no doubt, man. So I appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, just uh, one final shout out to our sponsor, Expand the Box Score. Go there and use our promo code TrueNorth10. You can find me on Twitter at TCL14. And you can find the homeboy on Twitter at TNFFTyrell. And check out all of our content at TrueNorthFFB.com. If you're listening to the podcast and you like the content, Please feel free to leave us a rate or a review or both if you want. That'd be sweet. Um, We love seeing that stuff. So we really appreciate our listeners' support. Ty, you got any parting shots? 
No, that'd be great if you guys could leave us a review. That'd be awesome. Maybe we could start getting into talks about getting memorabilia and doing contests and things like that. But we need a couple of reviews. To get, yeah, yeah. We definitely uh, want to see those numbers up a little bit. Maybe we'll start working on some merch or something like that. I like that idea. Um, right on. So, yeah, thanks again to all of our listeners. We appreciate the support. And thanks to everybody in the fantasy community. Peace.